He's not worried. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. It's a great chat. I'm Drew Cog, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Drew. I appreciate you, Rose, asking me to come speak tonight. Um, got some, I see my parents on here on Zoom and girlfriends here. So this is uh, quite a treat, especially it's such a beautiful night here. Uh, my sobriety date is March 20th, 2016. Uh, I have a home group. It's right here every Tuesday and Thursday. And I absolutely love it. And I, I it gets me fired up. And, and I can't say that about every group I've been to. So this is a true gem of a place to come to every Tuesday and Thursday. I have a sponsor and uh, I, I have a sponsee and that's a gift. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that walk and, and how God uses all these random people to uh, essentially get, get me out of myself. That's my problem. Who would have known that, uh, you know, it wasn't the alcohol, it wasn't all the, the wild times, it was, it was me, I was the problem. Um, from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, grew up with everything you could ever want. Had a dad that was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, mom that uh, stayed at home and took us to every sports event, every guitar lesson, anything that you could have imagined as part of an, an idyllic childhood I had. So there's a lot of talk that when, you know, oh yeah, he comes from that neighborhood or she comes from that family, of course she's that or he's that way. I had everything. I had everything, all the love that you could imagine. It was, uh, it's just the fact that I'm an alcoholic. It took me a, while, a long time to figure that out, but that's just the, the truth. And, and I actually, I, I hated alcoholics when I grew up uh, because my father's father, uh, I heard stories about him and um, how he he created you know kind of a living hell for my dad growing up, and and I couldn't believe like why why did he do that you know why, I can't believe that he created such turmoil in the lives of my father, uh, in the life of my grandmother. My grandmother um, worked as a nurse in a hospital and and she would be beaten to the point where she needed to be admitted to that hospital and they would put her in the back room away from you know other people that she worked with there and my dad would call in the middle of the night to come pick up his dad that ran a car into to the lake um and that happened um and that's crazy you know i just could not believe it didn't make any sense to me uh that that a man could treat his family so poorly and the crazy thing about God, about this program, is that today I love that man dearly uh, because my dad took him to his first AA meeting in the 70s in Atlanta. And, you know, it's, it's his memory today. And, and when I first got sober that I thought, oh, my gosh, like there's something to this program. There's, there's a chance that I can get sober using the same program that he, he got sober with. So... Um, I remember it being a little kid and reading the 12 steps of alcoholics because I, I found out at some point that he got sober uh, in AA and I was like, it's, it's 12 lines. Like, we, we can knock that out in an hour. And there's really not that, that much to it. Um, and, uh, and I 
I, I grew up with with uh, everything I could have ever wanted, brother, sister, and and just a lot of a lot of love, and in a church, you know, going family went every Sunday, and um, you know there was every chance for a relationship with God to be established, but but I thought about myself, and I and I feared. I feared a lot. I remember being a really uh, a little kid and and asking my dad, you know, dad, what what makes a lot of money? <laughs> and he, and I remember him not. It was a weird question to get from like a ten year old, and he said, I still remember. He was like, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and and I told myself right then and there that I was going to be a doctor, and it wasn't because I wanted to help people. <laughs> Uh, you know the typical med school interview. Like I wanted to make money. I had fi severe financial insecurity from a very young age, and this is coming from a, a, a kid that had everything he could have ever wanted. Uh, so I set out, set out, on, set out on that path, and, and my main thing as a as a kid in elementary school was that I was going to do better than you on every sort of assignment. Because I didn't, I felt less than. I heard early on in this program the the, the phrase uh, egomaniac with an inferiority complex, and that clicked. It still does to this day. Like I, I can't, you know, my problem when I came in was that I I needed to be better than you, and if I felt less than you, like I needed to make up for that. I just could not be on an even even playing field, and I felt that from a very young age. <laughs> And, and that's what I did. I set out and, and I, I was going to be a doctor uh, because it garnered the, the admiration of, of those that of those of my superiors. And that's what I did. So uh, I had my first experience with alcohol in, you know, a real my first real drunk was in like 11th grade or so. And and I went from this kid that uh, went to Sunday youth group every you know every sunday played guitar for fca on like thursday mornings waking up before uh school started and i had that first drunk and i loved it i just absolutely loved that feeling and i felt okay i felt like it with with this aid you know with this friend alcohol i was gonna be all right you know if i could just just pull the reins back and, and do this when I wanted to do it, you know, I wasn't going to be an alcohol cause I, I, alcoholic because I, I knew what that looked like with the memory of my grandfather. Um, but I, I have fun. I loved, I loved drinking and um, I did well in high school. I got into the University of Florida, uh, knew I wanted to be a doctor, so I took a lot of classes first semester at, at, in Gainesville and I'm out drinking with some friends and there's gonna be several stories here that my parents had never heard before and this <laughs> might be the first one um, but I'm, I'm out at a bar and uh, you know I, I see the undercover cop and I, I I'm 18 I put my beer down and I get manhandled, you know, dragged out in front of all my friends and all. I can see the look on their faces like, oh, my gosh, like, that's terrible. And I get out there, I'm on the police car, and 
you know, I was like, I, I, I got to go to med school. You know, I was, I'm so entitled. You know, like, I need to go to med school. You can't do this. And he's just like, shut up. And, uh, and I got arrested. And um, I put my address for my dorm on all the forms. I did all the, I stamped a lot of maps. I had to go to the, the map library at the University of Florida and stamp like these aerial photos of Alachua County. And I did that. Because I, I didn't have the money to pay for pay the fine because I would have had to talk to my parents who are finding this out. But um, so I stamped a lot of maps in the basement of the library, and I thought, man, like if I want to be a doctor one day, I can't I can't be doing that. And uh, and I studied and I had fun and you know things were for the most part a lot of fun in, in undergrad. I. There's a point where my grades were suffering and I was in a fraternity and I said, you know what, if I want to go to med school one day, like I can't be doing this fraternity thing. It wasn't me. It was the fraternity, obviously, that was the problem. So I quit the fraternity. And and uh, and so things were okay and, and I was doing well in school and got into University of Miami for med school. And I figured if I really want to do this, I need a little more a little more discipline in my life in med school and and I was going to get that from the army and so I signed up for the army to pay for my med school and they and they have a program air force navy have it where you can do the military or sign up for the military they'll you serve for 4 years after med school and and they pay for your school and so that that was my problem. I got that 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 box is checked now. Like I'm not gonna have any issues. I got the army looking down on me. We should be good. And I was off to the races. And in Miami, you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my my last year there in Miami, I'm living in South Beach. Just, just, you shouldn't be able to get a medical degree in the city of Miami. There's just certain places. Probably shouldn't be able to do that in Vegas either, but, um, but I, I did. And I, and I still, when I needed to study hard, I, I, I did and got the scores to, to get into ophthalmology residency in DC. Uh, and several, you know, there's several moments there that could have gone lots of different ways. And, you know, God just barely nudged me along and got me to D.C. And, and I got to D.C. And my mind, my body is still moving 100 miles an hour from my days in Miami. I get there. People are working hard, you know, learning how to be an ophthalmologist, which requires a little bit of dedication and like time commitment. And I, I didn't have it. I, I could not. I couldn't buckle down. And I sought out the people who wanted to party. You know, I, I didn't go home and, and study hard at first. And and things started getting really out of control, really out of control quickly. I had a day off my, my intern year of, uh, of residency. So your intern year, you do a little bit of like medicine, a little kind of uh, OBGYN, these weird things like, oh, I don't need to be doing that and just, <laughs> I, so I had a day off in the middle of the week, and they sent me to, oh, I didn't say, I, I went to Liberty Mountain Ski Resort by myself. And I, I'm driving to Liberty Mountain by myself. I was just going to go ski for the day. And it, it's, um, it's just like the story in the book, walking across the hotel lobby, sees the, the drink on the bar, and just 
cuts it over there. I did the same thing. I saw ABC right before I got to the, the resort, and I just pulled off the side of the road. I got some peppermint schnapps. That was, just, that was the first thing I went to. Pour, put it in a flask, and then I proceeded on to the, the ski resort. And uh, I'm, I'm there um, at, at the skiing all day, and the next thing you know, I am uh, blacked out. I'm waking up to cops shining uh, uh, flashlights in my face, and apparently I, I drank so much that I I passed out in the bathroom, and they found me in the bathroom, and they took me to the the, the Gettysburg um, police station, and I I came to I'm, I'm handcuffed to the police station or to the bench there, and. My company commander had to drive up all the way from D.C. to come get me, and, and I'm, it's not—it's not good. <laughs> they, they don't like. That's not something they typically like to do on like a, you know, random night. So we're driving back. He has his friend driving my car back. I'm in the the, the car with him, and he was like, you know, what are you what are you doing? And it's like, why are you here by yourself? You know, completely blackout drunk. And I lied. I, I said I was. I had some friends here. They were here earlier, and they left. And you know, and I just I drank too much. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, why? Like, why did I do that? You know, I. I that, make, that makes no sense. You know, I, I'm. I'm. I have my dream job right now. I'm learning how to be an ophthalmologist. These hoops. You know, God took me through all these hoops. And yet I'm going to a random ski resort by myself and getting blackout drunk and getting picked up by cops. And, and I've got to work the next day. And it makes, makes no sense. So they put me in a program to basically, uh, you know, a monitoring program where, you're, you know, you're not supposed to drink for six weeks. And I was like, you know, pass that program, figure I'm not, I'm definitely not an alcoholic. Um, and, and I went right back to doing the same thing, drinking a lot, um, having a really hard time making it to work. And so, you know, after that run in, I really felt like, you know, if I can just make it through this, you know, this next, these next few years and I'll get a hold on things. I'll have, you know, enough wherewithal to get my life back together. And I just remember every day walking out of my little apartment in DC and thinking, this is miserable. Like I, I was absolutely hopeless because I could not stop drinking and, and things got crazier and crazier. One day, I so my, my thing was I, I would stay up all night long and just drinking heavily, and then I would try to get to bed by midnight. That was like if I if I got to be bed by midnight, that was a really good night, and I got like a good like five hours of sleep, just completely inebriated, and woke up felt horrible, but I got, I slept a little bit. Um, that was like a really good scenario. The, the normal scenario is that I woke up really late, like at 8.39, and I was like supposed to be at work for several hours, hours already. And I, I would do this thing where I would make up some crazy excuse. And it started off with I was running and I got hit by a car. 
Um, I went to, I would never go to the, the ER where I worked, but I would find ERs in the, in the DC area and I would show up that one I was on actually on foot. That was pretty good. So I showed up on foot and, and then I was like, I got, I was running, I got, got hit by a car and they said, you know, where, where did you get hit by a car? And, um, I was like, you can like right, right here. Uh, it's like, no, you're not. There's nothing there. You're, you're fine. I was, and then they said, you're a, you know, we can get an X-ray. Got an X-ray. That was fine. And and I lied to everyone at work. I said I got hit by a car. Like that. That's what I did. I went into CVS. I I bought a a brace for my arm, and I went to work. And I told everybody that that I got hit by a car because because my that was my only way out. My only way to live was just to lie to everyone and just get by one more day. You know, this will be the last time that, that I that I do something crazy like this. The problem was it really wasn't the last time and, and it kept getting crazier and crazier uh, to the point where I I was I woke up late again, as pretty normal. Uh, and I was like, well I've gotta I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to start a fire in my apartment and then act like I'm passed out, call 911 and say I had a seizure and and so that's what I did. That was my best thinking. That's that's where I get myself. So I created a little fire ring in my my parents are looking like, "Oh my gosh." Uh, <laughs> I created a little fire ring in my my Georgetown little basement apartment like if that had burned down the whole thing that would have been like probably 15 million dollars like that whole street corner because everything is right next to each other anyway um my fire my fire ring worked it contained the fire so and the i i've i laid down on the ground and called 911 and they showed up they're like what is going on here i was like i don't know i i i i must have had a seizure and they're like and they're putting the fire out and so they took me they, they were like you're we're gonna take you to the hospital i was like well don't go to this one don't go to that one you know go go to this hospital because they don't know me yet there a lot of a lot of hospitals in the dc area and so they took me to the one that i was requesting here's a guy who just had a seizure and he's requesting to go to a specific hospital like and I'm hooked up in the e in the ambulance, and and this is my life. Like this is just one more day. This isn't even a full 24 hours. This is just gonna get me to to noon, and then I gotta figure out how I'm gonna get out of this. So then I have to go to uh, a neurology appointment, and they can't figure out why. They do an EEG on my head, and they're just like. You know, we, we can't figure anything out. You must have had a seizure, but because you must have, and we can't rule that out, we're going to take your license away. So I'm like, well, adult, it probably wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't a real seizure. I, I, can, you don't see any seizure activity on the EEG. So now my one of the guys I work with has to come pick me up every morning and, and take me to work because I can't drive a car. And and that's my life. Like that's that's where I go. You know, left to my own accord. My girlfriend's here, and she's like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> so it's insane. Like it's absolutely. So when someone comes, you know, a newcomer comes in, and they say, oh, "You know, it's just the most insane stories." Like I get it. I really get it. I've been there, man. I'm like I understand. 
Um, and that's a gift. Like I know today that I have a gift of being an alcoholic because I, I get that. All the craziness, like bring it on. Been there. Done it all. Um, and so I, you know, trying to make buy, make do with, with my weird situation, getting picked up in the morning. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's crazy. And so I got to the point where it's just too much. Like every day is so hard. Those, those few days when I actually felt good at work, it was so nice. It was so like to actually sleep like more than five hours and, and not feel completely hungover. Like that was a dream. I, and that's like, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't string two of those together. That was my problem. Um, so I got to the point where, you know, I woke up one late one morning and I just said, you know what? I, I just want to die. It's, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I cannot stop drinking. And when I do drink, I completely, I blow up every single thing. I'm, I'm in ophthalmology residency. I, I have a medical degree. People refer to me as Dr. So-and-so and I absolutely hate myself. I wanna die. And so I, I woke up late one morning and I, I ate a bunch of over-the-counter sleeping pills. And, and that, that was, I didn't know how to do it, but I was figured, you know, either I die or I, I fall asleep and and hopefully someone comes in to get me a little bit later like the military sends some pe some people and, and then they find me and take me to you know military jail and i was sitting there i felt sick i just felt really sleepy really sick i didn't die um so they uh i was sitting there thinking i was like man like my my, my dad would probably be able to like come see me in, in military prison my mom will have a really hard time with that like i gotta get up i gotta puke and just go to work so i i puked and rallied and, and got to work and you know saw patients and and just completely out of it that was you know i was pretty used to seeing patients like really really messed up and um you know i, was, I told a story the other day at a meeting i I used to talk to patients and I would like fall asleep in the middle of talking to them. <laughs> and like one time I was talking to my friends in the, in the, like the, where all the, the residents hang out mid sentence, I fell asleep and he was like, did you just fall asleep? <laughs> and I said, no, what are you talking about? And I mean, this is a guy that they're, you know, their, their colleague trying to learn how to do eye surgery. And, and they're like, this dude is weird. He's, I swear he just fell, fell asleep, but he tells me he didn't fall asleep. And, and, and that's, that was my life. And I, I, I remember talking to patients, the patients just used to bother me. So they tell me about these things they're seeing this, this like weird thing. And, you know, around nine 30, it goes over here. And then, you know, 10 45, I'm just like, okay, just stop. I can't, I do not want to hear you talk right now about this weird <laughs> floater. Like it is, it is so miserable listening to you talk. Um, but that was my, that was my life. And that was just another day. So I, you know, I got to the point where I, I could not. So I, even after I, I tried to, you know, die or go to, I don't know, like I wanted to die. I tried to pathetically kill myself. I, I could not, uh, I still couldn't ask for help. Yeah, you know, I still didn't ask for help, and and I just kept. You would think like after all that, it's it's time to kind of close close the show down, 
And and I got to the point where I was going into the OR, and I'm under the influence, and I'm I'm operating on people, and these are people that trusted their life, their their eyesight, and and my care, and and I consented them to surgery, and they signed, and and I went into the OR under the influence, and I'm shaking like everything, trying. So in, in ophthalmology and cataract surgery, there's a lot of uh, TVs on on the walls and and everything you do inside this six millimeter space is magnified on a on a huge degree and um, You know, I'm going into the OR. I'm just trying to brace myself. I'm sweating profusely It's just a it's an absolute mess and 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 I'm under the influence and I'm going to sign for patients in the pre-op area And I'm covering my mouth when when I I asked them if they had a good sleep last night like I'm I reek of, of booze um, because at the end of the day, if I do not have a spiritual solution, I will choose myself over them every single time. And I cared about these people. I really did. I, I wanted to do what was best for them. I truly did. But I'm an alcoholic. I will always pick myself without a spiritual solution. And, and that troubled me for a long time to know that, you know, these, that I did this, that I, that I, that I chose myself at the end of the day. Um, and, and I'm 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 grateful that I can share that right now because I, I was I got into into the program and there I was like there's a, there are certain certain things I will never share out in in public, and and with my sponsor that I, I'm working with today so I, I got sober in D.C. and and um, came here like I thought like I can't share certain things I used, it was just all fear I was so worried about myself and like what what this would do to my career and it turns out like. You know, the, if I'm open with it, like God is, the, the results are in God's hands and I don't have to worry about that. Like I, I can share this today. I can share that I tried to kill myself and, and, and God will use that hopefully to connect with somebody. I remember hearing early on when I, after getting sober, so I saw, I'll get to that in a little bit, but um, I, I remember I was like three months sober and heard this guy, this prominent DC lawyer shared that he tried to suck the uh, exhaust in his car. And, and I was just thinking, I cannot believe he's sharing that with, with all these people here. And I was embarrassed for him that he was saying this. And I was like, I will, you know, I will never share that I tried to kill myself and, you know, with, with a group of people. And today I can do that. You know, it's, it's, it's so I'm a free man today. And that's all thanks to this program. So, Long story short, I'm doing a lot of crazy stuff. People are like, okay, this dude's crazy. It's not safe to be in, in a hospital. And um, and I walk in. I, I go to Miami for a week. I, I decided to not show up to work on Monday. I really thought that I could show up on Tuesday and nobody would know that I didn't show up on Monday. Um, it didn't work out very well because I showed up on Tuesday and my boss was like, hey, we're you're going to need to go, you know, run an errand and come back. And when I came back, uh, there was intervention that I know today God set up. And that was in the form of my program director from a residency, the, the head of graduate medical, medical education and my company commander. And, um, and they said, you know, what's going on? Something is not right. And in that moment, I still could not come clean. And they, they said, you know, we're really worried about you, blah, blah, blah. I finally took a lot of time. Like, I still still could not come forward with it. I really was just like, I got to dig myself out of one more time. I got to dig myself out of this one. What can I come up, come up with in this very moment? And they're like, you know, finally, 
you know, oh, they took me to addiction treatment services in the hospital. And, and when I got up there, they knew me from that run-in that I had a couple of years ago. And they were like, oh, you already know these folks. folks. Yeah, I, I have a problem. So I, I was like, yeah, I got a, pro- a real problem. Um, and they said, you can either get sober or, or you can go to military prison because you were AWOL and you've been AWOL many times. What do you want to do? And that was terrifying. Getting sober, like, I don't, I don't think I can get and stay sober. Like, how long do I have to go to military prison? Like, how long can I, before I can get out and drink again, do the things that I want to do? Because we can, maybe we can work something out if we can, you know, shorten that up a little bit. Finally, uh, God somehow directed my crazy thinking to, to get sober. And, and it's just been a beautiful journey ever since. I, I, I called my parents and I told them, you know, I got a real problem. Turns out I need to get sober. You, you know, they're, they're, I have an alcohol. They, they obviously knew I was a little crazy. I tried to hotwire my dad's truck one time to get home from Gainesville. I don't know if y'all know about that one. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so I was like, mom, dad, like I, I'm, I, I'm in trouble. I need, I need help. My dad was like, you need to find out where an AA meeting is right now, and you got to get yourself there. So I was like, you know, I'm going to see what the Army tells me to do. They threw an addiction therapist at me, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, all these folks. And I'm like, Dad, I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, uh, your dad had a problem. I I just need to, you know, work out a few things. Um, and, and so I talked to all these, all these people, the addiction therapists, the psychiatrists, psychologists, and they're like, you need to go to AA right now, right now. And, and so I went and I decided I was going to go to AA and, and I scoped out a meeting in, in DC and saw that it was at a church that Abraham Lincoln had been to in the 1860s. I was like, you know what? If Abraham Lincoln's been to this church, like it's probably good enough for me. That's the kind of thinking I, I had, and uh, you know, certainly need my ego check today. So I went to that meeting, and, and I, I walk in, and I hear people talking about their relationship with alcohol, and I can relate to that. And I see them smiling. I see them genuinely happy. And it, I, I just remember that to me did not make sense. It did not make sense that people could be happy and have had these horrible experiences, and. And I'll never forget that glimmer of hope that I had that maybe there was maybe there's a chance I was going to be okay. Ordered uh, an A book off Amazon and came came with it the next time. And this guy came up to me. He's like, "Hey, you're going to need help going through that book." Um, I really thought I because I read the I read the steps before, you know, <laughs> spent all spent an hour with them. And he's like, "You're going to need help." And and I, I started meeting up with this guy. Every Sunday, and this guy had kids, had a wife, uh, had a had a job, and here he was spending his Sunday afternoons meeting up with me in a, in a halfway house, and and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this guy would spend his time with me, a brand new sober. I had been pulled from my residency. I had lost my medical license. Um, you know, I. Just absolutely miserable life. You know, life was awful, and this guy's meeting up with me on a Sunday afternoon. Every time we 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 finished up, 
I, I said, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me. And he's like, Drew, you're helping me out. This is just how it works. And that blew my mind. Like, it, you know, it didn't really, it didn't still, didn't, it didn't make sense at the time. But like, he's telling me that's how this works, that he shows up on a Sunday afternoon with his miserable kid uh, to, to talk about alcoholism. And, um, and that's what we did. So we started meeting up every Sunday. Um, I got back to seeing patients three three months later, which was crazy. I, they told me I was going to have to re redo my my second year in residency, and I was so mad, so mad they're going to actually make me repeat like a year. And I, and I went to a meeting and shared about it, all my problems. And this guy was like, if you were my eye doctor, I'd want you to repeat your second year of residency. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm grateful for this. Uh, so I, I repeated that that year, and and slowly, um, you know, I started just doing the deal. Sponsor told me, you know, I'd come to him with a resentment. He's like, "Pray for that person." I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense to me. Pray for that person. Like, I, I had to do things that I did not understand, and I and I know that's the answer today. That I have to, I have to take action when the when the feeling isn't there. I can I I act my way into feelings with this program. I don't think my way into certain actions, and then, and that was a complete. It still is today. It's not. It's abnormal. So I get it when you're. You're doing things in this program that don't feel normal, and it's you know you don't want to go meet up with this guy on on Sunday, and and you got it like I got to do that um, in order to to maintain my spiritual uh, well being. So I remember uh, every month I would take a selfie with some person who meant a lot to me, and my like. Because they give chips for like every 15 days in DC, like it's kind of crazy. Um, so I would take a I would take a selfie with people who meant a lot to me, and I already had in my mind that I was going to make a collage at my one year, and and present pe these 12 people with this collage, you know. And that's that's where I am when I I'm I'm so self-centered. And I'm so self-centered that I don't think that these self, the self-centered stuff in this book really pertains to me. Like, there must be some really selfish people out there. Not me. I'm planning, like, we, William, William and I had the same home group, and, and I was planning, like, what, who was going to speak for me at a year, like, what I was going to say. And, and I'm just so full of myself. I, and that's, that's my problem today is, is I love the quote, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. And, and that's my problem. So my, my first, I got a home group. And, and I, I can say today that a home group is uh, completely imperative. It's, it's a, I'm so grateful for this group um, and that first group that uh, told me I was going to, for my service position, was going to have me keep the people uh, that smoke on the sidewalk and and I told them like you know I don't I don't smoke I'm a doctor like you know so. they're like yeah get out there and, and keep the people on the sidewalk like I, I I just could not believe that here you're sticking this guy you know with all these credentials uh, you know to, to keep people smoking on the sidewalk and that's exactly what I needed you know I needed I needed a lot of help a lot of right sizing and and God did that for and continues to do that for me um, 
my relationships got better and that's all thanks to this program i i i had you know family is difficult and and slowly and and surely god has mended those relationships and it's not on my time and and i just have to pray for the willingness to be like it says in our book um to practice love patience and tolerance says that in there several times and and my sponsor today pointed that out that those those three those three words carry so much weight and and I have to align my my actions today with with that to pray for patience, love, and tolerance, and and show that in my relationships with my family. And slowly over time, uh, I've I've God has mended those relationships, and I'm and I'm so grateful for that. My parents are in Pinehurst, and and uh, we're gonna spend Thanksgiving out there, and and that's a that's just a blessing. Like I'm just an alcoholic to try to take his own life, and really just try to scrape by and today i'm uh, i've got thanksgiving family uh, brother coming to town girlfriends coming uh out there and and just just blessed beyond measure and that's all thanks to the program um so i i got a medical license back that's a miracle like that's kind of hard to get if you've, you're as crazy as i am like they they actually gave it back with a lot of stipulations like you gotta pee in a lot of cups you gotta get a lot of meeting slips signed um and and i'm so grateful for that and it, that was that was really good, made me so mad that i had to get these meeting slips signed i had to get them signed when i came down to to, to this area and I, I said, you know, I, I just, I don't think I need these slips signed. Or I tried to say it in a nice way, and they're like, no, you got to keep getting those things signed, man. Um, and I was so, ter- I was so terrified. And so I graduated residency. That was a miracle, absolute miracle. Um, I, I come down to, well, they told me the army's like, hey, we're gonna send you to Fort Bragg, and that was. I was not excited about coming to Fort Bragg. Like, like I love DC. I love my 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 sober network up there. AA, and you know that was the way it was, should be done. I came here. You know, there's no halftime. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give you like sobriety like chips for everything. Uh, you know, it's just so it was just different, and and I was. You know, God steered me here. The first, I think it was my first meeting in this area. I looked up somewhere else. I came here of all places. And thank God my sponsor up there was like, you need to get a new sponsor. And and I ran into this guy here with, with cool hair. And uh, I was like, hey, our, I need I need help. I'm two years sober. And um, and God placed this man in my life and said, you know, how's how's your prayer life or how you know when are you praying and honestly i wasn't praying a whole lot you know it was really just uh that was really lacking in my life and so my prayer life has gotten so much better since i've been here and i i can invite god into my life into the moment wherever i am and that's a that's a blessing that uh, god has really shown me since moving here and I worked the steps again. Like I did not want to work the steps again at two years sober and go through all that. And and my relationships with with everyone have gotten better as a result of doing that. And and you know, it's it's truly it's truly amazing. Um, I was. It's a it's amazing that I have a job. The people that I work with today are the same guy. Some of the same guys that I drank with in, back then. And and one of those guys, so I'm on call this week, and 
I told one of those guys that, hey, I'm speaking at my home group Tuesday night. Do you mind covering call for me for a few hours? He's like, sure, no problem. So I'm I'm forwarding the ER calls to his phone right now, and he's covering call for the you know few hours that I'm here speaking. That's that blows my mind. It's it's just, and this is the guy that. Um, it was the other one that picked me up from work for work every day, you know, because I didn't have a license because I had a seizure. And uh, it's these guys that that trust me to cover call to to pick up call when I'm here, and and it's it's mind blowing. That it's that's all God. That's not me. Like I'm the guy that lights a fire in his apartment, you know, when things are getting real rough. That's where I go, you know, God carries me, puts amazing people in my life, gives me an amazing homebrew. I go to Iraq for a little bit. Um, he's there from uh, November to March this year. And and I, that was the first time I've been really scared. That was when the, there was the ballistic missiles and all that kind of stuff going on. And, and I... I had Skype before Zoom was really a thing. You know, we had Skype and I was talking to my sponsor every day and and I prayed harder and, and you know what? Like God showed up. God was there in Iraq, in Baghdad, you know, wherever I am today before I walk into the OR and do surgery on someone, some, something that I could not do sober for a while. You know, I, I talked to God. I, I just, before I scrub, I, I close my hands and I ask God to walk with me. And, and I get to do that with God every moment of my life. Like I can invite God in. I don't have to do this by myself. And, and it's, it's just truly amazing. My sponsor says he's overpaid in every area of his life. And, and that is the truth for me today. My someone at work said, what, what would you be doing if you were basically like, if you could do anything and, and I'm doing it. You know, God is doing it for me. I'm living the most amazing life, and it's not, it's not my doing. God did it. The 12 steps of, of AA connected me with that God, and, and I'm so grateful for the life that I have today. And, and, and I thank you all, and, I, and thanks, for, thanks for listening. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Aww. Thanks, Melissa.